Welcome to the Melanin Medics podcast. Join us as we delve deep into topical conversations, share real-life experiences, and celebrate notable achievements of current and future doctors of Afro-Caribbean heritage. Listen in as we amplify Black voices in medicine and surgery. This Black History Month edition proudly celebrates trailblazing Black doctors, and we ask them, why did you fall in love with medicine? Hi everyone. Today we'll be brought to you by Ayomide and myself, Teniola. We are delighted to be interviewing Temitope Fisayo today. Temitope Fisayo is a final year medical student at King's College London. He also holds a master's degree for the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. His clinical interests include paediatrics, infectious diseases, dermatology, and global health. He's also fascinated by anthropology, sociology, and philosophy. Alongside his studies, he sits on the BMA's Equality, Diversity, and Inclusion Advisory Committee. So, Tommy Topper, thank you for joining us today. Is there anything you'd like to add? Um, No, just thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's lovely having you here. So we'll start with a warm-up question, and that is, who is your biggest mentor and why? Yeah, so I think that's a really interesting question and a difficult one. Um, Because I guess I I wouldn't say that I have a specific mentor. Mm. Um, I've tried over the years to sort of, you know, get people, get support from sort of other other medics a bit bit more advanced than I am. but it can actually be really quite difficult as a medical student to sort of get people to take, I mean, obviously we know that doctors are busy, um, but to get people to sort of take time out of their day and sort of help you to flourish actually requires a lot of effort and sustained engagement. Um, and sometimes that doesn't sort of bear fruit as one might hope it, one might hope it would. Um, so I wouldn't really say that I have a specific mentor. No one really comes to mind. But obviously I've been helped along the way by lots of different people um, but I guess when I think about having a mentor, I think of one person who's there from the beginning until the end, and, and I've not really had that in my experience. Um, is there anyone within medicine that you look up to at all? There are so yeah, there are loads of people in medicine I look up, <laughs> I look up to. Um, ah, I mean, even even just this week, I meet pe- I meet new people all the time who are sort of I find. I find them to be quite inspiring just because obviously they exude the qualities that I'm I'm trying to develop in myself. Um, so for example, this week we had a patient who had um, a sort of an emergency situation. They had some seizures mm. and the reg running the call um, was so, so calm and just knew inside and out how to get me involved, how to help the patient out. And the whole time I was thinking like, oh yeah, like, you know, I've read this before, like I've seen, you know, this has come up in exams or whatever. Yeah. But the actual gap between me knowing what, you know, multiple choice question answer, whatever to tick, and then him actually being stood there telling us how to actually look after this person mm. in a situation that's yeah. so stressful like that. It sort of, I don't know, I saw the, I saw the stars in my eyes, I guess, sort of. But, you know, it's just things like that that happen sort of every week or every other week that, that make me really happy that I'm, that I'm in medicine and that there are people like that who are happy to sort of spend time teaching me stuff, even if it's only in the short term. 
that's that's what really keeps me going. Yeah. yeah. What I'm understanding from you is that in terms of even mentorship and fi- like finding people that you find um, to be kind like desirable um, medics, it's kind of there's also a strong element of the amount of time that they're dedicated to spend towards you and spend teaching and invest in you as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd agree with that. I think, I think you know, people. I guess in, if you yeah, if you're looking at the short term, like if you're looking at like over a month or two or a few weeks or whatever. And yeah, there are lots of people who have been like, you know, really keen to help me learn something that I've been struggling with or get good at a skill that I've not quite got the hang of yet. Um, yeah. And those people, you know, they're, they're MVPs, like actually, because, you know, at the end of the day, nobody has to do that. No one has to go the extra mile for you, yeah. particularly, yeah. you know, as a medical student, um, they're obviously they get swamped by medical students day in, day out, who they never see again. Um, so actually being able to sort of develop that relationship with them um, is really valuable too yeah I also think like when we talk of mentoring I feel like sometimes we have this idea of you know like 10 years and 20 years but I think it's also important to appreciate those short-term like investments in you that you've also alluded to because Mm. those people even though you know we don't necessarily remember their names like 10 years from now they've definitely influenced us and as future medical practitioners like they probably also like it's that thing about how like you're basically a sum of everyone you've met and as a yeah, doctor you're yeah. basically a sum of every doctor you've met and even though it's not one person I think just like the cumulative effect of all those people coming together is still mm-hmm. valuable in itself anyway yeah um, I you, yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you said you said like you mentioned that when you people kind of investing in you it makes you realize that like it's so great that you know you're in medicine where people are Mm. doing these things for you what else would you say like has affirmed your decision to go into medicine or what moments in your journey would you say affirmed your decision to go into medicine yeah I think I think so today I've been really really busy the ward was short-staffed and so as a medical student um I had to step in and sort of help the team out with the tasks that I'm competent to do and it was sort of realizing even though it was obviously a stressful situation that I was loving it. That sort of <laughs> yeah. just like running from bay to bay, doing this thing or the other. Um, I just thought, wow, this is so great. <laughs> 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 I, know, I feel like it sounds a bit like, you know, really keen and really late to be like, oh, I actually just really enjoy the very bare bones of medicine or just like talking to someone that you don't know before, um, mm-hmm. finding out what their problems are and seeing what you can do to help. Um, that just is very fulfilling and very nourishing to me. Um, and so every, literally every single day that I go in and it's like that, I just think, great. <laughs> like, yeah, that's like, this is it, yeah. Um, yeah. I guess, I, obviously in medicine, you know, people say like you get to make a difference to people's lives. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's quite easy to forget even the small things that you're doing um, can be significant for other people. So, for example, I was on a GP placement a few months ago and we always do these sort of, like, quality improvement projects. Um, And the one I chose was about vaccine uptake, um, which is a controversial subject, I know. Um, (laughs) And, you know, you you hear all these things about, like, anti-vaxxers and sort of patients getting quite um, vehement and abusive on the phone. And so my quip project was obviously to call up lots of patients and ask them why they hadn't had their vaccine. Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's intense. <laughs> Honestly. <And so> <laughs> <laughs> and 
And you know, so obviously you're like trembling as you dial that number into the phone, thinking, "Please don't pick up." <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, the vast majority of the people that I spoke to, at least at that GP practice, they'd just been really busy and they'd just forgotten to get their next dose of, of the vaccine. And so it was actually really um, a really heartwarming day, just being like, "Oh, like for the rest of that child's life, they will have the protection from that vaccine." Like it's such a small thing, booking an appointment, but actually. You know, you've, I don't know if you've read some, there have been some reports about, you know, measles outbreaks, people who've sort of been really, really unwell with all these diseases that are coming back. Yeah, um, yeah. And knowing that actually just because, you know, the GP in charge is like, oh, actually the medical student needs to do a quip and this is the quip. Um, that's given that, that, you know, that's changed that child's life. You know, that's changed the course of their, of their life. Like when they go to uni, they're not going to get measles, regardless of what anyone else around them does. Like that's... I don't know. That's the sort of thing that makes my jaw drop. Is like actually, it's just a phone call, but it means so much. Yeah. You know. I was gonna say just one phone call. It's like yeah. the butterfly effect, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and I think as medical students, I know when I was a medical student, it often felt like you you never quite understood where you fit into the team. Like you're here for four weeks, they have to invest in you, but you're not there for long enough for them to like you know go like the long you know mm. putting that extra effort to like do all of those things but i think when you realize that it's those little things like the gp in charge or whoever the partner was would never have you know called i don't know 50 patients to ask them if they're mm. going to get the vaccine but like you said like that little thing has had such a massive impact mm. and that's just really cool as well mm. yeah and I also think, like, when we talk about vaccines, like you said, I think when we hear that people haven't had vaccines as medical professionals, it's so easy to jump to, oh, my goodness, like, they should be doing so much better. Mm. But when you then realise that there's a lot of, like, just logistical issues mm. um, in people not having vaccine, I think it allows us to give them more grace as well. Um, so you've already spoken now about, like, kind of what you enjoy in clinical practice and stuff. Mm. But is there anything else within, like, your actual medical studies um, both like clinical and non-clinical you've also like really liked um, that you'd like to share with us today yeah so I guess um, there are lots and lots of things in medicine where you sort of hear about it and you think oh okay that's sort of quite interesting but it's more important that I learn what it is for the exams or for my clinical practice yeah um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, but in terms of like what's really captured my imagination, the two things that stand out are sort of infectious disease. So thinking about different sort of viruses and bacteria um, and dermatology, which are quite different. Well, there's obviously lots of infectious disease in dermatology, but the reason those two sort of capture my imagination um, is because I think they're both really complicated and really difficult. And there's something about sort of there always being another level or another layer to sort of unpack and get to grips with. Um, something that on the surface looks quite so simple, right? Like you have an infection, your immune system fights it off or doesn't, you know, yeah. job's done. Yeah. But actually there's so much going on there. Like what is an immune system and what is it made up of? That is, <laughs> that's, that's, you know, I could talk for hours and hours and hours over what that means, you know? Um, yeah. And then dermatology. I didn't realise I liked dermatology until I went to GP. Um, oh. And all the patients came in and said, oh, I've got this thing on my skin. What is it? 
And all I could do was look at it and say, hmm. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> what do you think it is? <laughs> like, just, I, there's something about, it's so powerful, just that look of recognition of a disease. Like, that skill, I think, floors me every single time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you have yeah, a bit like, of a challenge. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd say that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's really interesting. I think um, in keeping with that, would you say those are the areas of medicine that you're then most drawn to? Yeah, I guess in terms of... So I, I really like paediatrics. I think I'm probably going to end up being a paediatrician. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess in paediatrics, it involves a lot of infectious diseases and dermatology, so that's harmonious. Mm. Um, I guess when you think about sort of what specialty you're going to go into... Um, you've always got to bear in mind, or at least I, I think quite a lot about sort of, um, I guess the sort of non-medical factors going into it. So thinking about, am I going to be able to train in London for all or most of this facility? Mm-hmm. Um, what will be the work-life balance available to you? What will the working relationships be like? You know, like, I guess as medical students, we all form these judgments about different specialties based on like, our two-week, four-week, whatever placement's there, and who's, <laughs> who's nice to us and who's not. Um, pediatrics, everyone is always nice. It's always been nice to me. Um, and even when they're not nice, the patients are. So yeah. that sort of yeah. that sort of swayed me. Um, although I know that the rotors are a bit fiendish. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, see, we'll see if I make it past SD1. But we'll see. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be great. <laughs> Um, yeah, me and Ayomade were just talking about like um, picking um, specialties and we were saying how we literally, it's so important. I'm, and everyone always says you shouldn't make your decision based on this. We were saying yeah. it's just so important how the people you meet within the job interact with you. Mm-hmm. And like that that just makes a difference because you think if they're happy, that means I can go into that job and I can be happy. And they, yeah. there must exactly, be some yeah. element of their job that is good and bringing them joy if they're yeah. this happy. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and it's so interesting that he brought it up because I was like, I oh my goodness, we were literally talking about this. Like, Just talking also about, about it. like how your priorities change as well as you get yeah, like, exactly. older. Like mm. when you start medical school, you want to do something, then you start clinical years, then you want to do something, then you work as an F1 and you want to do something else. And eventually, like, thing like one of my consultants always says like your your specialty picks you like mm-hmm. one day you wake up and you realize you're doing exactly what it is that you wanted to do even though you changed your mind so many times and I think that's just such a cool way to look at it as well because it's trying to find all like this one thing that brings all the different parts of you and all the things that you like into one place isn't it mm-hmm. yeah. I think for you it sounds like a lot of things that will bring challenge and mm-hmm. some diversity yeah. keep you on your toes a bit yeah. yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, I guess, I don't know, you don't want to be sort of so, so specialist that you only see sort of one subset of one condition all day, every day. Yeah. Because then it's just sort of like, I don't know, it's the sort of thing that sort of, you go, you, I guess you'd fall asleep, you'd be bored. You know, that's why yeah. fear. Like, it is like medicine, obviously, like it is a difficult job. You do actually have to sort of work quite hard at it all it's the way true. through. <laughs> yeah. And so I think it's a lot easier to work hard at something that's actually difficult as opposed to trying to work hard at something that like you sort of seen it all before, you know it inside and out. Um, and you're sort of, you know, I don't know, maybe maybe this is unfair. Maybe this is my naivety speaking. Um, 
but I guess for, for specialties that don't, that to me, don't fight, feel like a sort of, you know, every day is a different day, there's something new going on every day. Um, I couldn't see myself persisting in that for, for, for too long. Yeah, yeah, that's understandable. Was there a key driver then for paediatrics or is there a key driver? Yeah, yeah. I guess what I like about paediatrics is A, the sort of diversity within it. So obviously babies are very different from teenagers and that you have to be responsible for both sets of patients. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the sort of the level of clinical skills, the different clinical skills that you can use in paediatrics yeah like again like babies and teenagers are very very different but you need to put a cannula in both um yeah. I, I just think it would be really cool to have this do you know what i mean just i just think i don't know you'd think you're sick wouldn't you you'd think you're actually like um i don't know i, I just feel like i can see myself walking around as though the sun shines out <laughs> shines out of me um because i've had because i've had all the pediatric training i think that'd be like I don't know a dream scenario for me. Oh, like it's the, it's the same it's the same with like with dermatology, right? Like oh, like actually anyone with a skin problem is if they rock up in front of me, I can just say what it is. Like yeah. sorry, like there's nothing you can say. Like that's the training I've had. That's the skill I've got. One look diagnosis. Like that is it's just that level of not that I guess that aspect of having some some sort of formidable talent. I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think there's a lot of that in pediatrics. So at least for someone who doesn't have those skills at the moment I think getting there um will be will be quite an an engrossing challenge so sounds amazing accepting nothing but brilliance (laughs) (laughs) that's nice um okay so you've spoken quite a bit actually about where you find your joys within medicine Mm. and where you think may you may be driven to because of those um but I wonder if there's ever been a point where you thought medicine might not be for you then yeah, um, I think everyone has their doubts about about this job. Yeah, <laughs> uh, sometimes I guess I don't know. I feel like someone should start playing like the world's tiniest violin or whatever. Because I think the only times when I feel like I don't want to do medicine um, is when I think about sort of other jobs that are paid more than being a doctor. And yes. I don't think I don't know. Obviously if you have the ability to sort of, or the luxury of being able to choose between lots of different highly paid jobs, um, then that's obviously a massive privilege. Um, and so I, I wouldn't lose too much sleep over over me feeling like, oh, I don't want to do medicine, I should have been an investment banker instead. Um, because actually I don't think that. Um, and I, I, guess, I guess what, when I think about doing something else, I always think that actually yeah, I could make more money, but I've always known that I knew that going in and yeah. I wouldn't have chosen to do, like, if I wanted to make more money, I would have just chosen something to do something else. Um, and over, I, like, lots of my friends do do those sorts of jobs and I look at their working lives and I think, actually, that sucks. Like, no, <laughs> offense. <laughs> like, no offense. <laughs> like, okay, cool. Like, you know, you can do up lifestyle, you can go to all these nice restaurants and buy designer clothes, and I am actually incredibly jealous of that. But I would rather be my jealous little self who enjoys their working <laughs> life um, than sort of have to soothe the wound of looking at spreadsheets all day with the latest sunglasses that cost £500. Like, that's, I'm, I'm happy in being on that side of the equation. 
if you really want, when you finally get that up there as a paediatric um, doctor, we can think about getting you some £500 on <laughs> Come back. Come back to us. Exactly. Well, the sun's shining out of you. So it sounds like, you know, your love for medicine is obviously evident. But I also think that you probably also do a lot of things outside of it. So mm. how would you say you, you're able to maintain like a work-life balance outside mm. of medicine? Um, Google Calendar. <laughs> <laughs> Writing notes. <laughs> I just, I think being very strict about scheduling is um, important. Um, I think that, genuinely that is actually my main tip. Just actually saying like all the stuff that I want to do, I need to do back to back to back in an intense sort of period with no breaks in between um which doesn't sound very fun but actually it's fine like the next thing in my google calendar after this chat is going to dinner with my friend so it's actually not it's not all like work 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 um or whatever it is like there is there's scheduled relaxation time um which doesn't sound relaxing but if you get used to it it can be so <laughs> don't knock it until you try it don't knock it until you try it um <laughs> I don't know I guess like I'm someone who's quite not obsessive but I think if I become passionate about something then I will just like follow it and and Mm -hmm. go after it and whether that's like oh I'd like to be someone who reads lots of contemporary fiction or I'd like to get into playing squash for example or I need to do this revision or that assignment or whatever um I don't know I feel like I wouldn't say it comes naturally to me because I don't think I always get the balance right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I do think, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I don't get the balance right. Like actually, before we before we started recording, I was thinking to myself, like, when was the last time I watched Gossip Girl? Because <laughs> <laughs> I've just no, because I've started I've started the new season. Fine. Um, but I've, it's been a while, and I'm only I'm only three episodes in, and it's a bit like, well, when am I going to actually have time to sit down and find out what happens? I want to know who. <laughs> who the new gossip girl is um so i don't know maybe there's room to improve actually thinking about it um needs to enter but to be fair to myself gossip girl isn't in my google calendar so <laughs> you know the second it gets in there it will get done it will get watched yeah okay so, so you're not so it sounds like you know like it's a lot of scheduling but also, can you say what you were going to say? What were you going to say? I was just going to say something silly. I was going to say that <laughs> you're not advising that everyone should have their mental well-being checked as, have I watched Gossip Girl? Am I up to date? Um, so you mentioned contemporary fiction. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was just like a random example or if that, that's actually a thing that you've decided to invest time in. Mm. Um, but what kind of extracurricular activities do you actually, you know, use to help you strike that balance yeah, between work yeah. and life? So um, that wasn't just a random example. I do actually okay. try to read lots of lots of contemporary fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think reading is one of those things, actually, that if you just do 10 minutes before bed, you can actually get through quite a lot of books that way, as long as you're mm-hmm. consistent with, with 10 minutes. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I subscribe to the London Review of Books to try and understand um what that world would be like like obviously there's books as commodities that we all sort of you know put on instagram or enjoy casually and then there's Mm -hmm. the sort of there are people who are sort of jane austen professors who have 
think they've got interesting things to say about the relevance of books from a billion years ago to to events that happen today. Um, and I think both of those are really quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm quite a sporty person. Um, I just thought I. I just thought, imagine if I said I'm Sporty Spice, that would be really funny, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> um, I, I, do, I do lots of sports, so I, I yeah. ride a bike and I play squash and I play football um, and I go climbing quite a bit as well. So it's, I guess, I th- the thing with some of these, with these sports is actually I've gotten into them at uni because friends have sort of invited me to play. Yeah. And so it's sort of natural to sort of be like, oh, okay, if I'm seeing this person we'll be playing squash or we'll be going climbing. Oh, um, yeah. So that helps as well, sort of, you know, killing two birds with one stone, being active and seeing people that I like. So Social fitness. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. Coining that term. It's honestly a vibe. <laughs> but I just want to spend some time on, like, the book. So what book would you say everyone should read before they die, based on different, oh like, gosh. contemporary fiction you're reading? <laughs> Because I like reading too. I wish it was mm. contemporary fiction, but it isn't. It's honestly just like fiction that 15-year-olds read. <laughs> that I also read. <laughs> but yeah, tell us. What would you recommend? Um, okay, that's a really difficult question. I think one one book is slightly difficult for me. I mm-hmm. think the books that come to mind, the first is M.W. by Zadie Smith. Um, okay. which is a book that I read when I was about 16 years old. And Zadie Smith is a writer who has an exceptional talent at crystallising thoughts that you didn't know you had into a book. And so you'll read sentences and think, I've had this exact thought. Where was she? <laughs> Where was she spying on me? Because <laughs> there's yeah. no way... Um, I think, uh, yeah, I think N.W., I mean, should I explain the plot a little bit? It's about um, four friends. N.W. refers to the postcode in London, um, mm-hmm. so from North West London, um, and the sort of different paths their lives take. Some of the friends uh, go to university, some of them don't. There's a bit of a love uh, triangle in there. It's all, it's about, like, race, class. Um, it's very, it's it's an incredibly well-written book, it, like, I remember having to put it down and take a break because of the, the sort of vivid emotions it was making me feel and be like, oh wow. my gosh. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. She does bits in NW, to be honest. Um, uh, and then another book that I think is also really good, um, but perhaps isn't on the you must read this book before you die list, <laughs> is... <laughs> I feel like that was a high... That was an so like honestly it doesn't have to be that deep okay okay fine it could just be a book i really enjoyed um is ali smith so it's the zadie smith and ali smith they're not related to each other um ali smith wrote a book called how to be both which is about um i can't remember the century but a medieval italian transgender painter haunting a lesbian teenage girl in the modern day and the sort of the similarities between their experiences and the differences and how they try and navigate each other's complex queer lives um wow that, there's so many layers to that. <laughs> wow yeah yeah um and it's, it's just fantastic it's just such 
it's such life-affirming writing it's it's writing that I don't know do you ever have that sensation where like I guess especially like if you cross like the the Waterloo Bridge or you you see you see something that you see every day and you see it in a new light and you just go wow I can't believe like like I'm here like this is earth like this is what's going on how to be both is a sort of that feeling in a book like it just makes you think about life completely differently um, you've sold it yeah. I know I'm already like contacting my book club like next next <laughs> oh that's brilliant yeah. okay I mean you're it seems like you're really into literature which is yeah. it, it sounds great you've got a lot of um advice for all of our listeners um <laughs> and whilst at medical school you've explored passions including like medical journalism as well um mm. could you tell us a bit more about what drove you to do that yeah, so I, I don't know. I guess like I, I wouldn't really call myself a journalist per se, insofar mm-hmm. as that I don't really do, um, what's the word, like reporting. Like I don't go and talk mm-hmm. to hospital CEOs or anything like that. Mm-hmm. What I have done is published lots of opinion um, in medical journals, yeah. um, probably because I haven't yet learned to bite my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> We like it, <laughs> honestly. Um, and so I guess if I see something, I think a lot of the things that I've written have been critical, which isn't itself a negative, it's just a trend that I'm noticing now. Um, and so if I see something and think, oh, I think there's another aspect that needs to be considered here, I will just sit down and write, I think there's another aspect that needs to be considered here. And so far, editors have seemed to appreciate that, so that's been, mm. that's been convenient for me. It makes for a more interesting read at the end of the day. Mm. Yeah, mm. getting those differing opinions. Um, your last paper was on the role of class in medical academia. Um, yeah. And it was especially important because um, quite often intersectionality is um, left out of the conversations. Mm. So could you tell us a bit more about your work? Yeah, so um, what I wrote was a sort of another critique um, about a paper that came out in the Journal of the Royal Society of Medicine that was looking at race as a barrier to engineering clinical academia. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm someone who's sort of got an on-off interest in, in clinical academia. Um, and so I thought, oh, brilliant, like this will be a great way to, to think about whether or not that's something I want to pursue. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so these authors had done a sort of review of all the different ways in which race can sort of, as I guess as the title implies, prevent someone from pursuing a career in clinical academia, Um, Mm -hmm. despite the evidence saying that actually, if you're a medic of colour, you're more likely to be interested in that sort of career path. The the majority of clinical academics are in fact white. And I thought, okay, that's good. Um, At least you're sort of bringing attention to the issue. Yeah. But in their analysis, they sort of completely eluded the fact that actually the way to get into clinical academia, or at least from my perspective as a medical student, if you're interested in research, you need to find someone who will give you a project to do. And very, very seldom are those projects ever paid. So actually you reminded me, um, for some reason I was looking through my emails and in January of this year, I was sent an email by someone um, who was running a research study with COVID-19 patients and they wanted me to go and collect samples from those patients 
and label them and send them off to a lab um, all right. day, Monday to Friday, wait for it, oh. unpaid. Why? And I thought, I actually can't afford to spend my entire week doing yeah. unpaid work. But I'm sure there are some medical students out there who I guess, I suppose, can. Mm, um, yeah. And so those are the medical students who will get their name on what I'm sure is a very important study about COVID-19. Mm, and those are the medical yeah. students who have stuff for their CV to say, oh, actually, I am really interested in research. I'd like to become a clinical academic. Yeah. And so what I try to do with the piece, sort of build on, I mean, that experience isn't, you know, it's not one in a million that happens all the time everywhere. Like lots of the projects that I have been able to do have been unpaid um, and I've been able to fit them in working on the weekends and stuff because I'm, I'm lucky in that way to not have a sort of weekend job. Like I don't work in a pub or a bar or anything like that. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, you know, just think about lots of the people that I, I go to school with do have those jobs and do have those those commitments. And so they can't really sit through you know, interview transcripts and do thematic analysis or go through spreadsheet after spreadsheet after spreadsheet or even collect the data firsthand Mm -hmm. when that's the time they would be using to try and pay their rent. So I just thought, well, we know that actually, you know, people of colour are disproportionately working class. And if you're working class and you go to medical school, you probably have a job while you're at medical school. And so you can't really be sat around you know, doing unpaid research work. Um, and I made a fairly lofty claim at the end. Well, not lofty. Um, I have this really annoying habit of sort of, of sort of being deprecating about my own opinions. I actually think it's quite straightforward that if... Because actually, these research projects, they have funding, right? Like, someone is paying for this research to be done. Mm-hmm. And if in that budget there isn't money for collect the data then it doesn't sound like you have a research project. You know, like if you've not budgeted for someone to go out and collect what you actually study or to actually do the study, then you can't do the study and that's that. Like if you can't pay someone to do that job, then that job's not going to get done. And I think that is the sort of line, like either the work you do as part of that research project is work and therefore deserves a wage, mm-hmm. or it's, you know, quote unquote volunteering and therefore, the only people who can afford to volunteer are people who sort of clinical academic roles. And therefore, clinical academics will look at a class of people, a certain race of people. Um, yeah, yeah. Which obviously, I... you know, has implications for health inequalities and, you know, who decides what gets funded and who decides what gets researched. So Yeah, and what gets published. Exactly, and what gets published as well, yeah. It's really interesting. Um, so interesting. <laughs> It reminds me of a discussion I was having with some of my colleagues. Um, we were lucky enough to get accepted for a um, poster and oral presentation, but mm. the costs added to that are just ridiculous. Oh, exactly. And, yeah, like yeah. traveling to conferences and like actually like um, even being a delegate. Like even if you get a poster accepted, you mm. still usually have to pay to attend um, mm. hotels. Um, and then if you want to get things published as well in pay- in journals, then that still comes with its own cost as well. Mm, mm. Um, so, yeah, the financial um, implications of being a clinical academ- um, academic are huge. Mm. They're huge. Yeah. There's so many barriers to entry that, like, you don't realise trying to do it. And you're like, wow, 
there's so much more to think about than just me writing this paper in my bedroom yeah. or something. Thank you so much for telling us about that. And I think it's it's a conversation that needs to be had mm-hmm. because like it's just it's not just in medical academia i'm sure we can say the same about many other aspects of society as well yeah and we've just kind of just skirted like around the issue for so long Mm -hmm. you also you already told us about you know your love for google calendars um and i i feel like that will be very instrumental in how you're able to do all of these different things yeah but what other habits do you think you've also developed over time that has been integral to getting to where you are now mm-hmm. um good question i think i'm i guess i'm quite sort of you know passionate and obsessional about things so that that helps sort of in finding the energy to actually go after um to pursue my interests like i do sort of you know, in my spare time. I I guess I'm one of the people who just wants to know more. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't really um be satisfied with the sort of surface level answer. So mm. I guess a, a, an example is sort of at school and we were doing biology, um obviously and maybe maybe this isn't obvious, but at school you get taught a sort of simplified version of things that it makes sense to you enough that you can answer an exam about it but what actually happens in the human body is far more complex than it laid out to be mm-hmm. um and I think at that sort of a-level stage we were sort of brushing up against the boundaries of how much we could be satisfied with um you know oh it's just a six-step diagram or like the Krebs cycle just has like three different sugars in it when actually there are a million um like we I remember lots of people in my class we would all go home and Wikipedia <laughs> we would Wikipedia what we were learning and every time there was like something different to what was in the textbook we'd all be talking trying to figure out like oh so how do we get from this model here that we're being taught to oh. what's on you know what's the step above um and I think that's bit that was really nice to sort of be in an environment where that was welcome because actually it applies to so many other things in medicine, like trying to figure out like, oh, this patient's blood results don't seem to make sense with what their clinical condition. How can that be? Um, conditional, obviously, like that being their blood that's gone to the lab or whatever. Um, yeah. Like, I just think, yeah, I don't know. I just think sort of that drive to know more yeah. um, motivates a lot of the, of the habits that I've developed subsequently. Like, a lot of curiosity there. Yeah, I think so. I think it's just having, getting the full picture, you know, having mm-hmm. a full understanding of like exactly what's going on and why um, yeah. is really satisfying. Like, a lot of things are just stories, right? Like taking a history is just getting a story about what's happened to someone. Um, medicine is full of metaphors and mm-hmm. images that are just, yeah. you know, sort of shorthands of explaining really complex um, biological processes. Wow. And I think if you think of everything as a story, then it makes a lot more sense to try and get to the end, you know, try and get to a satisfying conclusion. Wow. Yeah. You've just literally brought, pulled all of your literature into medicine. <laughs> Honestly. Into literature. <laughs> wow. I feel That's like I'm wild. analysing like a paper and like <laughs> reading a book at the same time. <laughs> just wow. Just wow. <laughs> I've never heard anyone explain it like that. Um, no. Um, so... Tell me, Topher, what advice would you give to your younger self if you knew what you know now? Um, 
Honestly, when you say that question, the first thing that comes to mind is chill out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess when I first got to uni, I was quite sort of, um, I don't know. I was very sort of, what is it called? Like a gunner? Like, you know, that medical student who like, who has to know everything, who is always in the library, is always revising, is always like yeah. writing notes down on the wall or whatever. Um, I guess I aspired to sort of be that because I thought um, my image of what medical school would be like is lots of people who are very highly strung and very stressed because mm-hmm. I watched all of Grey's Anatomy in the summer before <laughs> starting medical school. <laughs> that was hardcore vision. <laughs> um, which, you know, it was th- at that time it was 13 seasons and each episode was an hour long. So wow. it, was, it was a lot of Grey's Anatomy. And I thought, oh, okay, like everyone is going to be striding around, really blustered, really stressed but like having a good time, um, you know, trying to be the best in the class. That's what medical school is going to be like. Everyone's going to be like that. And then I got to King's and it was like, oh no, like they're just normal people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You guys are just like relaxed, um, which is actually really, like as I've gotten towards the end, I just thought, oh, all that time, even now when I see younger years in the library now, I just think, no, 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 no. Go and, find, <laughs> go and find yourself the nearest yeah. club, you know, get some snake bite down you, whatever, just have some fun. <laughs> you know, you're in London, enjoy it. Um, you're the reason. Yeah, I, I, I wish I'd gone to more parties, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, I guess, especially with COVID now as well, like a whole year without being able to see anyone. Um, it really puts into perspective, like, that was. That was all party time. That's I'm not going to get back. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there'll be many opportunities, where, like as things open up more. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Get used to living with this virus around. <laughs> yeah, um, and people have like likened like the post-pandemic era to like the Roaring Twenties. So yeah. I do think, <laughs> I do think that like there'll be lots and lots of opportunities. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And Tokwe, do you think that? there are any challenges just I guess it's kind of a complete change of subjects but do you think there are any challenges um, or any positive progress that black people in medicine face today that were different from when you were starting out in med school um, some five six years ago now? Um, Are there any challenges that are different for black people in medicine from five or six years ago to now? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure I'm not, sure, I'm, not, I'm not sure to be honest with you I'm not sure what would have I mean obviously there have been um these sort of conversations about race and medicine have been sort of going on and on uh over the years and I think more and more people are aware of like the difficulties that black people face in medicine today than they were when I started out um yeah. but in terms of of progress or in terms of what's changed um I'm not sure what I could point to um that's that's different or what's or yeah I'm not sure what I could point to um as a sort of success story or as a sort of of what's really materially changed and that's fair enough I think yeah yeah, that's fair enough I feel like it's very difficult to know Mm. um Sorry, I, I guess I feel like there are more black people in medicine now than when mm-hmm. I started. But mm-hmm. I don't know if that's because I just wasn't aware of how many black people there were studying medicine 
when I started as I am now, yeah. like it's actually been a sort of shift. You know, like when, like even today, I guess not not just today, but like in the past year, I've been on like clinical teams where actually like all the doctors are black. Um, really? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh my gosh! Sorry, I've never been that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's that's ne- that never happened, you know, in first year, second year, third year. So. Yeah. I don't know, but that's obviously like you know that's just one story like that it might not be a national change. Mm. Well, that's really interesting. Um, and is that the kind of change you're hoping to see as well, populating yeah, I mean, more places? Yeah, I think it'd be nice. I mean, it's just I don't know. It's just uh, you can sort of relax <laughs> when when all, when all the doctors are right. I guess there's a, I guess there's obviously it's obviously nice to have that sort of like I guess that a bit more familiarity. Mm, you know, yeah. a bit more of um of an understanding I guess yeah I think it's yeah. really important for patients as well to feel that and just mm. feel like they can mm. relax and they can open mm. up um yeah. I think personally like going from being in uni in Exeter and then working in London um, <laughs> <laughs> wasn't that bad <laughs> um I just found um the way that I it wasn't my like intention, but the way that I was able to interact with patients was just, it was just so much different. Yeah. Was, yeah. yeah so different. Um, I mean, yeah, great. So, I mean, thank you for bringing us back to black history month with those last <laughs> few comments. Um, and um, thank you so much for taking the time to enlighten the audience with um, the details of your journey and how you fell in love with medicine. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the discussion as much as we have. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you. It's yeah. been nice to talk to you. <laughs> Um, so um, brilliant we look forward to the next episode um, but from now it's um, goodbye from from us from me Tenny and I am do. <laughs> yeah <laughs>Thank you for listening to this Black History Month podcast edition brought to you by Melanin Medics We hope you have enjoyed this interview and have been inspired to fall in love with medicine too. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe to our podcast and social media pages.